Scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. We will read the first very famous eight verses of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Hear, receive, and treasure these words into your hearts with faith and with love, for these are the words of our Lord to us this morning. Ecclesiastes 3, thus says the Lord, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, a time to gather, to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What is time? Asked Augustine of Hippo, the ancient theologian. What is time? He says, if nobody asks me, I know. But if I were desirous to explain it to one that should ask me, plainly, I do not know. And if Augustine does not know what time is, what hope do I have to tell you? Well, we can all relate to this answer, can't we? We kind of know what time is until we have to give a good definition. So to not leave you hanging, I have a second quote from another wise man. People assume that time is a strict progression of cause to effect, he begins. But actually, and here it comes, so pay attention, from a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, time is more like a big ball of wibbly, wobbly, timey, wimey, Stuff. I'll repeat it. From a non-linear, non-subjective viewpoint, time is more like a big ball of wibbly, wobbly, timey, wimey stuff. And although the person who said this is a fictional character in a British science fiction TV show, just like Augustine's quote, it is quite relatable, isn't it? Today is the last day of the year, and these ends of beginnings of cycles always make us think about time. You probably won't go as deep today as to think and ponder the nature of time itself. But when you look back to what happened in 2023 and your expectations for 2024, I'm sure you'll feel a lot like this last quote. 
You wish life was a strict progression of causes and effects. You do this, you get that. You plan A, you get B, leading to C. It's a win-win situation. Everyone is happy. Life goes on. Yet we all know that this is not usually how it goes, is it? Again, life is more like a big ball of wibbly, wobbly stuff being thrown at you. And you can barely ask for X or plead Z before it all goes down the drain and the only path forward seems to be choosing option square root of minus two. We wish we had some control of our time. But then as the punk rock band Green Day once sang, time grabs you by the wrist and directs you where to go. Plans fail. People disappoint you. The weather changes. Babies are born and loved ones die. Sometimes, as we felt up close with some of our own recently, both things happen in the span of a few days. Is there any meaning to this big ball of timey-wimey stuff? We ask this because today, as you all know, calendars are a changing. And we are all thinking about timey-wimey stuff. That being the case, what better piece of scripture to meditate upon than the universally praised time poem of Ecclesiastes 3? Today, Solomon the wise gives us his take on what time is and what it does to us. Yet the Spirit of God who inspired these very words will teach us about who God is and how he deals with us. In summary, we'll see today that God's hands are guiding our lifetimes toward Jesus It's simple as that. That's the main point of this text. God's hands are guiding us, guiding our lifetimes toward Jesus. We'll see that in three points this morning. First, time is in God's hands, not ours. Again, time is in God's hands, not ours. The first thing we need to grasp this morning to properly situate ourselves in this ball of timey-wimey stuff that we call our lives is that God rules over the passing of time. Simple as that. God rules over the passing of time. We see that clearly in verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Some of you might be familiar with how the book of Ecclesiastes constantly uses this divide between heaven and earth to talk about God and man. Therefore, when he says that there is a time for every matter under heaven, he's saying that, there is, that everything is timely according to the will of him who is in heaven, as he will say in chapter 5. And he rules the world from there. In the words of our shorter catechism, what this text is describing to us is God's most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving and governing all his creatures and their actions. And having said that, then the rest of our text is a poetic and eloquent 
exposition of this divine providential rule over all our matters and affairs. I believe the whole of human life is covered by these four, 14 parallel statements, each containing what Bible nerds call a merism. A merism, let me explain that to you, is a common literary tool in Hebrew that summarizes an entire spectrum of a thing by highlighting its two extremes. For example, the clearest example of all, Genesis 1, 1, says that God created the heavens and the earth. And when it says that, it does not say simply that God created the heavenly expanse and then this dusty old planet earth. Yes, he did that, but he also did and created everything that exists in the between. Everything that exists between these two realities. And that's what Ecclesiastes is doing for us to us this morning. So when it talks about a time to be born and a time to die, it talks about the entire life experience between point A to point B. Weeping and laughing covers all the other emotions in the middle. And mourning and dancing, all the external displays of such emotions. It is interesting, probably in our context of an OPC church, that the expression of happiness is dancing. Think about that. In the words of an old commentator, the chronological poetry of Ecclesiastes 3, quote, covers the widest possible range, and thus, practically, every aspect of human life. And that, my friends, is how life gets complicated. Because there's one simple thing that this text does not tell us, even though it talks about the entire of human existence, there's something that doesn't tell us. It does not tell us what the appropriate times for these things to happen actually are. There is a time, but it doesn't say when, let alone the why. Ecclesiastes is just describing life as we see it. Everything happens all the time, and it all under the control of God. And it's not for us to, quote, to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, as we read in Acts chapter 1. Everything happens all the time, is what this text is telling us this morning. The list does not, tell, does not tell us you should always speak, for example, when X or Y happens. Or you should never speak when X or Y happens. It does not say refrain from embracing during a hot summer and embrace during a cold winter, even though those things are recommended. We would love... Some of us would even kill for having such a manual of life, knowing when to do and when not to do, and in cases that I include myself, knowing when to speak and definitely knowing when to refrain our tongues. 
But this is not what this text is, even though a lot of people look at it this way. And you see that because, of course, some things listed here are not even our, under our control. We do not control when we are born and when we die. That is so obvious. Other things are not even to us to search for a good and appropriate time to do them, like killing. So what's even worse is that if today, this morning, as you reflect on past year and coming year, you feel somewhat discouraged or even desperate given this lack of control of time, the text is only affirming that feeling. You feel bad, you don't control time. Yeah, you don't control time. That's what it's saying to you. This past year, you made plans and they failed. You had hopes and expectations for things and for people and people and things frustrated you. And when you think about that and you start thinking about the next year, you start to already begin to fear there will be more frustration to come. So this is why I say it gets complicated. Because most people react to this understanding of reality that a lot of things happen all the time and we can control them in two main ways. On the one hand, we might just give up. I'll sit on the couch or by the window and watch time go by. To quote the wise men from Pink Floyd in their song called Time, your life becomes this. Taking away the moments that make up a dull day, you fritter and waste the hours in an offhand way. Kicking around a piece of ground in your hometown, waiting for someone or something to show you the way. On the other hand, you might try to control what the text says that we clearly can't. You try to be like God and control your days and seasons as if you could run after the sun and match its time-controlling pace. Which, of course, if you have tried that, and I believe most of us have, only brings more frustration. And again, Pink Floyd. And you run and catch up with the sun, but it's sinking. Racing around to, racing around to come up behind you again. The sun is the same in a relative way. But you are older, shorter of breath, and one day closer to death. You might not be a great fan of British rock bands like I am, but again, I think we can all relate one way or another to the feelings described by this song. Time is ticking away, and you can't match its pace. So what sounded like great news in the beginning of the text that God is in control of everything starts to feel like a dreadful way to live as we realize that if he's in control, we are not, and we just see the sense of time escaping through our feeble 
fingers. But there is good news in that. And the great news of that is that since God is in control of everything, even time can be used and redeemed by Him, which is what we'll see in our second point. Jesus Christ is the Lord of years and the potentate of time. Again, that's our second point, drawing from the old hymn. Jesus Christ is the Lord of years and the potentate of time. Like I said, the good news from this text comes from the same source that the last point seemingly bad news. As I said earlier, this text describes life and how there are proper fitting times for everything. Yet given that everything that happens under heaven, under God's authority and rule, we realize then that these 14 merisms, as we call them, describe how God rules over the universe, even if we do not expect some of them. Look at the first pair, for example. It is God who decides when we are born. Psalm 139, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Yet, he also decides when we die. Job 14, and the number of men's months is with you. And you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. Healing and healing, planting and plucking, breaking and building up, God preserves life and God decides when and how to end it. So we open this book and we see that he is the God who plants and builds up Israel in the middle of the land of Canaan but also who plucks them out and breaks them down in the story of the exile as we are seeing our series in Ezekiel. He is the God of love, yes, and I don't see a lot of people who have a trouble with that, but he's also the God who has a great wrath in store for his enemies, constantly characterizing the Bible as opposing the prideful and the wicked he is the God who speaks, who reveals himself in signs, wonders, and words, but also the God who is silent when his own people turn their backs on him, Ezekiel again. He's the God who wages war against the nations and the God who leads his people to a land of peace. My point, what I'm trying to get across is that our text expands our understanding of God's dealings with his creation, especially with us humankind. And if we think of this text not as something for us to do, but something that God does, and thinking about how this text tells us about God, how God deals with mankind, of course, where do we find the most remarkable display of God's character, goodness, and glory, if not in the revelation of His only begotten Son who came to live within creation under heaven. So you turn your Bibles to the first pages of the New Testament and you find there Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the only person who came out 
at the right time, the one person who came to us at the right time, who perfectly used his time, all the time, in submission to God's perfect plans to grant us eternal time with God. And once again, one last time in the season, let me mention Galatians 4 to you. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem, redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And you start to realize that there's a lot of things in the Bible about Jesus that deal with the timing of it. Jesus was the one who best redeemed his time by making the best use of it in a way that we could never. We saw he was born at the right time, but then he also died at the right time perfect season, which was the season of the Passover, so he would be our sacrificial lamb. He knew the time to break down down his opposers, his opposers who afflicted his people. At the perfect time, he killed sin and death at the cross. But at the perfect time, he also healed and built up those who sought him in faith never breaking the bruised heed as it was prophesied of him. In the right time, he gathered stones, his apostles, who are called that, over whom his church is built. And at the right time, he cast away that big, large, heavy stone at the entrance of his tomb when he came back to life. He knew the times to speak with authority and wisdom unlike any other. But like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he he opened not his mouth when led to his slaughter, as we read in Isaiah 53. He sewed together the body and soul of Jairus' daughter, for example, yet offered his own body to be torn apart as a sacrifice for many. And in that act, we keep going, he tore down the temple's veil, making it possible for us to be sown together to God and to one another through his Holy Spirit. The Lord of life that he is, he mourned, mourned, and cried with the death of his friend Lazarus. Still we we read in scripture then, when all was said and done, and he returned to the Father to sit at his right hand, he saw the fruit, fruit of his labors. He saw his lot, those he had redeemed for himself. And his soul rejoiced and was satisfied. I could go on and on to each of the parallels of Ecclesiastes 3, but I hope that with just a small taste, I have shown you just a glimpse of how this text points to God's sovereign and loving care demonstrated to us in our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the Alpha and the Omega, 
and all the words and letters that exist in the between, the beginning and end, and everything that happens in the between. In his incarnate ministry, he experienced the passage of time like you and me. In everything he did, in all the range of human experience and feeling, he was ever obedient to the perfectly timed plans of the Father. Again, plans to redeem you and me from our sins, including those that we mentioned already, those of not making good use of our time, or on the other hand, of trying to be rebellious, rebelliously like God and try to control while we cannot. This is the Jesus to whom this passage is talking about. But you might be thinking in your head, how does that change the fact that we are still feeling like, in the words of Psalm 90, our days are but toil and trouble, they are soon gone and we fly away? What can we make of our time in this life in light of everything we just heard? That leads us to our brief last point. We get what everyone gets, a lifetime. Again, we get what everyone gets, a lifetime. Ecclesiastes 3 brings us face to face with the reality that the cost of living in this fallen world is a time to die. At the end of our days, even though we do not know the number of those days, we all must pay that final tax. Hebrews 9 makes it very clear when it says, it is appointed for man to die once. But then it says, and after that comes judgment. Because it does not matter which proportion of good or bad times and seasons you get, Scripture is very clear all throughout that we have all broken God's law. We have all made use of our times in ways that dishonor our Creator. And then when time is up, we have to give an account of all of that to Him. An account of how we dealt with the times and seasons that He gave us. Yet today we also realize from this text that the Lord God in his kindness give us what we always wanted. He give us more time. He give us, like I said, a lifetime to all of us so we can hear his call and go to him. Jesus himself said so in Mark 1, the time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He has come when he was time and has gone when he was time. And until he comes again in his perfect time, we all have time to go to him. To confess our sins. To embrace his salvation. To join his kingdom. 
The Apostle Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 6. For he says, in a favorable time, I listen to you. And in a day of salvation, I have helped you. Behold, he completes. Now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. I can't stress this enough to all of you who are here today. Now is the favorable time to listen to him. Now is the day to seek salvation in him. Because we do not know when time will run out. And we keep reading the Bible and we realize that those who find his favor in his day of salvation experience an unity with Christ that goes beyond time and it is stronger than death. We read that on the last day, his perfect justice and righteousness will be accounted to those united to him in this life. They will come into his presence and then enjoy an eternal celebration feast with him. Death, sorrow, and tears will be no more because he will be our God and we will be his people. We read at the end of the Bible. So that's the first thing we should take comfort today. But this good news of the gospel of Christ does not change only our future or our eternity, but that reversal of fortunes, fortunes that happens at the cross also changes how we look at our lives right now. First, since we are united to him in this way, it is no wonder that we experience some of the same things that he did. Like he did, we experience sorrow, we experience suffering, and we experience death. Yet that union with him also makes us sure, and you should leave this place with this certainty in your heart this morning. He is with us in our times and seasons of mourning, loss, even war, and even more. None of these things can separate us from him. We might never know why such terrible things happen to us when they happen to us. So we know that it always happens under his watch and it all brings us one more day closer to being more like him and eternally near to him. That's why, for example, Moses tells us on Psalm 90 to count our days to gain wisdom. And that's exactly what we will do. We will do precisely that in a few minutes in our Sunday school class. We will remember the good, the bad, and the ugly from this past year. To count our blessings and to remember his presence with us through the many valleys of tears we've been through. And this is a lifetime exercise of remembering the past to strengthen our hope in a glorious future. Which lead us to secondly and finally to realize that the surety of his glorious return means that all pain is temporary. Verses 
It only lasts this mere lifetime of 70 or 80 years old, if strength permits, as we read in Psalm 90 again. And then, after that, in a time appointed by God, Christ will come to be with us. And that will be forever, way more than our mere lifetimes. We will live with Emmanuel, God with us, in a renewed heaven and earth, and all that exists in the between, and bad times will be no more. Yes, we all get a lifetime of toil and trouble, but those united to him get an eternity in heaven and earth, in his presence. Until then, day by day, Year by year, time after time. We live by the words of Austrian poet Rainier Maria Rilke, which I'll, with which I will close this sermon and this year. He says, Let everything happen to you, beauty and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final. Nearby is the country they call life. Let us pray. Gracious God, Father Almighty, be light to our darkness, wisdom to our folly, and strengthen our weakness. Remember us according to the favor which you bear to your own people. Stir us up to seek your face and to hold fast to your promises. Make us see day by day that it is good for us to draw near to you and cause us to wait upon you in and through the name and merits of Jesus Christ, our only mediator and advocate, in whose name we pray and together we all say, Amen.